Today is a special day. It's a day when around the world there are people who take the time to remember who Jesus Christ is, to remember what He does in the lives of an individual when an individual is willing to give their life over to Him. And this morning, we want to take a few minutes, in fact, we want to take the rest of this time to talk to you about what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ in the midst of a world like this. Because you see, in this world right now, we are, we're facing an unprecedented level of anger. In this world right now, we're facing an unprecedented level of violence. In fact, there are so many things that are unprecedented in our world that, that for 2021, the prognosticators have asked us to please quit using the word unprecedented because we used it so much in 2020 around all the different things that took place. But, but it's true. We are living in times that we've never seen before. And yet, and yet in the midst of these times, in the midst of times unlike any we've ever experienced, there are, there are some central truths. There are some central things that, that God Himself wants us to know, and He demonstrated them through Jesus Christ and through the changes that He makes in the lives of people who follow Jesus Christ. We've been taking as our pattern for these months since COVID-19 began to break out in the United States to focus on the story of the people of God in the first century, because we want to be the people of God in the 21st century. And so in the midst of these very angry, very hostile, very violent times, we are trying to find our way through into the unknown by securing ourselves to the things that, that God's Word teaches us, the things that Jesus did in the lives of people. And there, there are these two men in the Bible. The, one's name is Barnabas. His, his given name was Joe. He was from Cyprus. And, and yet he was renamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement by the disciples in Jerusalem because Joe from Cyprus became a follower of Jesus, and it changed everything for Joe. And there's this, this other man, a man named Saul, a Pharisee among Pharisees, a, a man who was passionate for his religious system to the point that, that he actually was persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ. And in persecuting the followers of Jesus Christ, he, he ultimately came face to face with Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus had already been, had been crucified and buried and and then resurrected and had ascended to be with God the Father and was not walking the earth physically when he encountered Saul and Saul encountered him. No, there was an encounter, a life-changing encounter. And for those of you like me who have never seen Jesus personally, physically, we can still see him personally in our heart, in our spirit, in our life, and we can discover like Joe from Cyprus and Saul from Tarsus, we can discover that God can change us. Joe, he, he made into Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And Saul, he, he made into Paul, the apostle who would take the gospel out around the world. And together, these two men, Barnabas and Paul, were traveling the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, they would go into a city 
where they had never been before, and they would share with the people who were of the same background, the Hebrew heritage, the, the Jewish faith in their synagogue. And they would tell them all the promises that the prophets made, these promises have come true in Jesus Christ. And as they would tell them that everything had come true in Jesus Christ, they would offer them the opportunity like they had had the opportunity, like you and I have the opportunity to, to be changed by Jesus Christ. And when that would happen, there would be people, people like you and me, who would, who would bow the knee, who would accept the opportunity, who would become followers of Jesus. But there were also people people who didn't necessarily respond. In one city, early in their first missionary journey, to a place that's referred to in Scripture as Antioch of Pisidia, they shared the gospel. We talked about it last week here in our series, Into the Unknown. And there were many people in the synagogue, Jewish background and Gentile background, who accepted Jesus Christ. In fact, they were so hungry for the hope, so hungry for what, for what Jesus could bring into their life that they asked, they asked Paul and Barnabas if they'd come back to the synagogue the next week. And today I, I want to pick up the story because I, I want you to hear some things that happened to Paul and Barnabas that may be happening to you because I promise you they're happening somewhere in this world right now. Look, Listen, hear the story of Antioch, Pisidia, from Acts chapter 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered in the synagogue to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews, the religious leaders, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was being spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews, those religious leaders in the synagogue, incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust from their feet against them and went over to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The story is so meaningful to me because it starts out with such great promise. It starts out with the opportunity for, for a large gathering of people to hear the, the Word of Jesus, but it, it deteriorates very quickly from, from that opportunity into, quite honestly, a very hateful scene. 
And we're living in a world right now with lots and lots of hateful people. Lots and lots of people who are, who are vengeful and violent. And, and all you've got to do is turn on the television or scroll social media or, I don't know, have a conversation to discover just how much hate is at work in the world today. But how do you handle that hate? And how do you handle the hateful people? I mean, for some of us, it's just like, well, those are the bad people and we're the good people and, and we'll just put them over here and we'll live our life over here. But that wasn't an option for Paul and Barnabas. And it's really not an option for us. This is not the time for the church to, to, to struggle with its identity. No, no, this is the time for the church to identify exactly who we are. We are the children of God, the followers of Jesus Christ. And those who are hateful to us, those people are also the children of God. And they are also people with the opportunity to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's the way Paul and Barnabas viewed the people, even the Jewish people in the synagogue who were leaders who were persecuting them, who were opposing them, who were reviling them. Did you hear that word? They literally reviled. If you look up the meaning of reviled, you know what it means? It means verbal abuse. It, it, it means someone who's slanderous and, and lying and, and confronting and, and hateful in the world we're living in right now. Every one of us is encountering someone who is reviling. Maybe it's not you. Maybe your world has not had that, but, but if your world's not had it, I would suggest you're really not interacting with the world. And what I love about Scripture is that the changes that are made in the lives of the people who follow Jesus Christ, those changes teach them very practical things. And this morning, this morning I really want to take just a few minutes to tell you to show you, to learn with you from Paul and Barnabas about how they handled the people. Because here's what I know. I know that right now, today, as I speak, as you're listening, in this nation, we have people who are, who are demonstrating, some of them peacefully, some of them not so peacefully. I know that in the last year in our country, we've, we've had people who have who've tried to speak out against injustice and people who tried to speak out against things they feel oppose their values and then and, and try to stand up for those who are oppressed and stand up for those who feel as if they're not heard. And, and in the process of standing up, we've been shoved down and we've missed the opportunity. And some of us, some of us have succumbed to the temptation to become hateful in our own speech. Tomorrow is the national holiday here in the United States, remembering the birth of Martin Luther King Jr., a man who made quite a difference, a man who gave his heart to try and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, and a man who said in the face of oppression, in the face of violence, in the face of anger and reviling. It was that man in that setting who said to the world, darkness cannot drive out darkness. It takes light 
to drive out darkness. And hatred, hatred cannot drive out hatred. It takes love to drive that away. That's exactly what Paul and Barnabas discovered in Antioch of Pisidia. And it's what I want to encourage you to discover in your life. So, Pastor, how, how do we handle these how do we handle these hateful people that we have to deal with in our life? The people who verbally abuse us, the people who encounter us in violence, the people who, who respond to the truth of God with their own anger and their own vitriol. Well, first of all, you have to understand the source of the hatefulness you encounter. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, this, this same Paul who was reviled in Antioch of Pisidia. Paul, Paul would write later on in his life in a book to a church in Ephesus that we don't wrestle against principalities and powers of this world. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. No, no, we, we wrestle against principalities and powers of darkness. See, that's why I reminded you of Dr. King's quote, because we are not called to be the people of darkness. We are called to be the people of light. And we're not called to be the people of hatred. We're, we're called to be the people of love and grace and mercy. And being the people of love and grace and mercy, being the people of love and light, means when we encounter the people around us, when we encounter the, 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 the hatred in our culture, we can't respond by condemning the people who are hating us. We have to understand their hatred doesn't come from them. Their hatred comes from something deep inside of them that does not know the love and the hope and the light of Jesus. So returning their anger with our anger, returning their hatred with our hatred, it will not do them any good and it will not do us any good. That's why Paul and Barnabas looked at those who were reviling them, the, the Jewish leaders who were jealous, uh, Luke tells us, of the crowds that had gathered to hear about this Jesus. And, and they looked at them and said, look, we brought you the news of Jesus, and that's what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to share it with you. But now, now we understand that, that the, source, the source of your hatred, the, the, the source of, of your anger, it's not you. It's the darkness inside you. And so when the reviling was going on, they chose to say to them, look, we're, we're not going to just ignore those people who came to hear. Instead, we want you to know. We want you to know that, that we understand and we're sorry. I mean, if anybody could understand, it was Paul. Don't you remember how angry Saul was? How he breathed out threats before he met Jesus, before he was changed by Jesus on the Damascus Road? He was one of the angriest men in the world. He understood what he was sharing with them, the love of Jesus, the light of Christ. He was sharing it with people whose minds were darkened. He would write to us about that later on in his life as well. And, and so when you encounter when you encounter the hatred, remember that the source is not the person who's talking to you. The source is the evil that is in their heart that is not theirs. It comes from the principalities and powers 
and the opposition to God, the darkness of this world, if you would. So when we encounter the hatred, when we encounter hateful people, that's why we're told to love those by Jesus. He tells us to love those who despitefully use us. So number one, don't return hatred with hatred. Don't return anger with anger. Don't return violence with violence. Instead, return it with grace. Return it with mercy. Return it with love and the light of Jesus Christ. The second thing is this. When you, re- when you recognize the source, then, then you have to come to the place where, where you can actually embrace your larger mission. You have to embrace the, the larger mission of, of what God wants to do in your life. That's why uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they were reviled, when they were, when they were persecuted by these people in Antioch, Pisidian, they, they quoted Isaiah 49. And, and they, they said, look, we understand. We brought this to you. It's your choice. But they used this word, since you thrust it away, since you shove it away, we want you to know that, that we're still offering it to you, but because you don't choose to follow Jesus Christ, there are people here who want to follow Jesus Christ. And quoting Isaiah 49, they said, look, God has made us a light for the Gentiles so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, when you, when you recognize and, and understand where the opposition really comes from, where the hatred really originates, and you understand it's not in the people who are opposing you, but it's in the principalities and powers of this world and the darkness that prevails against the kingdom of God, then what you understand is there are more people that the kingdom of God wants to reach. And so your larger mission is not just to to focus in and nail down and and drive in the people that are opposed to you with more opposition. No, no. Your, your, Your calling, your larger mission is to share the love and the light of Jesus with everyone you meet. And here are Paul and Barnabas sitting in this synagogue that's filled with people who've come from all over the city because they've heard that these teachers from Israel, they've offered something beautiful and something new and something gracious. So I, I, I really believe that right now, if, if the church of Jesus Christ will, will forego the violence and forego the hatred and step away from the, the confrontation and instead respond to the hatred among us and the hateful people among us by loving them even more, then, then I believe that we will see the kingdom of God come and we will see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, when when someone responds with grace and love and mercy to the anger and violence and hatred of your heart, it, it moves you. So when we embrace the wider mission, when we embrace our larger mission, then we we become people who are who are able to overcome the hatred with the love. When I was a kid, I saved up some money. And I, uh, I, 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 I used that money to start a little business. I've always had a little entrepreneurship in me. I, what I did was I, I, I saved up the money and I went to the little local store. 
and I bought a gallon of lemonade. That, that gallon of lemonade cost, I don't know, a dollar, two dollars. Then I brought it back home and I poured it in cups, cups about that big. And I sold the cups on the street at a lemonade stand for 10 cents a piece. And I got 20 cups out of the gallon of lemonade, which means I made a dollar profit. So then I did the calculation in my mind. I thought if I bought two gallons of lemonade, I could go and I could, I could actually make more money. And so I jumped on my bicycle and I took my $2 and I went back and I, and I bought two gallons of lemonade. Along the way, one of my friends, a little girl who lived a couple of houses down, her name was Teresa. Teresa asked what I was doing and I explained and she said, hey, I will work with you and we'll, you know, I said, okay. And, and so we went and now we've bought three three gallons of lemonade, and we're making a lemonade stand, and we're going to make money, and we're going to be millionaires with our lemonade stand because we're nine and ten years old, and we think this is wonderful. The problem was on the way home from the store, with Teresa sitting on my handlebars of my bicycle, holding the three, the three gallons of lemonade, I inadvertently didn't see a hole in the road, and I hit a bump. And when I hit the bump, it, it made Teresa lose her, lose her grip on the, on the lemonade. And she dropped two of the three gallons. Now, for those of you living in the 21st century, that's not a big deal. It's plastic gallons. You drink. No, no, this, this was a long time ago when I was a kid, and a gallon of lemonade came in a carton and the paper cartons covered with wax to hold the fluid in, that, that carton of lemonade dropped and it broke and lemonade went everywhere. We still had one, one, but we had lost all of our profit. And I was furious. And I said some of the meanest things I've ever said in my life to Teresa. I blamed her. I told her if she had held on tighter to the, to the, the lemonade, we'd have still had profit. And, and I just, I ripped her. And she began to cry. But I didn't care. She'd cost me money. She went to her house and I went to mine. And then, and then, about an hour later, there was a knock on our door, and my mother came to my room and said, Carrie, Teresa's here. I said, I don't want to talk to Teresa. She dropped the lemonade. She cost me money. She said, Carrie, come talk to Teresa. And I walked to the front room because my mother made me. And Teresa was standing there with two gallons of lemonade. And she said, Carrie, I went and got some money from my mother, and I bought some lemonade, and I'd like us to be in business together still. Now, some of you are listening to me this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, hey, Carrie, come on, kids, lemonade, anger. Yeah, I know, but it's the same principle. The same principle as your political division. 
the same principle as your racial injustice, the same principle as your economic downturn, the same principle as the abuse physically and sexually and verbally that you're enduring in your home. And for those of you who are propagators of abuse, for those of you who are revilers of people, for those of us who have at times allowed our anger to overcome our wisdom, we need to hear Paul and Barnabas again. We need to understand the source, and we need to be willing to step away from that source and embrace Jesus Christ because He has a larger mission. And when you you gather that insight, when you embrace that mission, then, then He begins to do something in your life. He begins to make you into a person who makes a difference. He begins to give you opportunities to stand at the door of your friends who have, who have hurt you and offer them grace and love and forgiveness the way Teresa offered it to me. Some seven or eight years later, my family had moved from the little town we lived in where Teresa and I were selling lemonade. Teresa and I were now high school students. And Teresa, my friend, had a massive heart attack at 14 years of age. It was a birth defect. Nobody knew about it. They they didn't understand it. She She just died. And she was the first person that that I had ever known of my own age who actually passed away. And and what I remember now, all of these years later, is standing at her casket and looking at her body and thinking to myself, I can't understand this, I can't fathom this, but I am so glad we reconciled the differences between us. You see, the third thing you've got to do in order to handle hateful people. After you understand the source and you embrace your larger mission is you've got to come to a place where, where you are willing, where you are willing to, to stay true to your mission, to stay true to the mission. Listen, listen to it again, the way that, the way that Paul and Barnabas did. When the Gentiles heard what they said from Isaiah 49 to the people in the synagogue. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. When you stay true to your mission, God uses you in ways you can never, ever, ever imagine until you do. The key is staying true to your mission. The the, the key is understanding that larger mission, embracing it, knowing that the people who are angry and the people who are violent and the the people who are doing things that are diametrically opposed to all of your values, those people are the same people Jesus died for, just like he died for you. So stay true no matter what happens around you. Church of Jesus Christ, stay true, no matter what happens in the world around us. Uh, My father used to tell a story 
Uh, and since he was a preacher and he was from Kentucky, uh, sometimes he would tell stories and my brothers and I would go, uh, I think that story's a little strange. So I remembered one of them this week and I, I actually called one of my cousins in Kentucky to make sure that I got the story exactly right. You see, the story involved one of my uncles, my Uncle Charles. Uncle Charles was a kind of an animal whisperer, if you would. He, he could speak to animals and train animals. He, he used to raise horses, and, and he could take care of dogs and kennel dogs and purebred dogs and race dogs and did all kinds of things with animals and was always swapping and trading out. And, and in the process, he, he became the owner of a, of a German shepherd dog named Mitzi. And Mitzi was the, was the most loyal, devoted, well-trained dog I've ever seen. She sat next to Uncle Charles on his front porch. She protected the house. She protected his family. But she would follow every command he gave. And one of his commands quite frequently was, Mitzi, go get the paper. And Mitzi would, would rise up and she would walk out to the down the driveway to the road that ran by their country house, and she would pick up the paper in her mouth and bring it back to the front porch. And one day, as my father would tell the story, and as I verified with my family this week, Mitzi went to the newspaper where it always would be. But along the way, there was a new dog in the neighborhood, a little bitty dog. A dog that was always yapping and yapping and yapping. And when that dog saw Mitzi, she began to just, just snap at Mitzi's heels all the way and yap at Mitzi. And, and here's the deal. Mitzi was a rather large German shepherd, well-trained, very well defending the property. And Mitzi, with just one, with one movement, could have just taken that little yap dog out. But, but on that particular day, Mitzi had a mission. Mitzi had a call. And as Mitzi was going to do what she was called to do, the little dog just kept yapping and yapping and yapping and yapping. But Mitzi stayed true to her call. I, I, I tell you that because when the Gentiles heard that Paul and Barnabas were going to tell them about Jesus— when they heard that this wasn't just for those with a Jewish background, an Israelite heritage, no, no, now suddenly they're responsive because these two men who understood the source of the opposition and the hatred, these two men who were willing to embrace their larger call, these two men who were going to stay true to that mission, true to that call, would now tell them. My father would tell my brothers and I the story of Mitzi, and the yap dog, anytime we were criticized in our life, anytime our decisions were questioned in our life, and ask the question, did your master send you on the mission? If the master sent you on the mission, be like Mitzi. Stay true to the call. But there's one more thing in how you handle hateful people and how I would encourage the church to respond to the days we're living in now. You see, the persecution didn't end. The, the persecution didn't stop when the Gentiles heard about Jesus. If anything, it intensified. 
In fact, it intensified so much that, that the, the Jewish leaders in the synagogue got some of the political leaders in the city, and they began to put influence, and they began to revile against Paul and Barnabas so much so that they drove them out of the city, physically drove them out of the city. Listen to the story. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You see, when you live into your relationship with Jesus, when you, when you stay true to your call and embrace your larger mission, when you understand that the person being hateful to you isn't really the source of the hate, but that you, you can be the channel for love and grace and mercy. You can be the light. You can be the grace of God, then you live into your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to live into your relationship with Jesus Christ in the midst of a hateful, angry, violent world. Live into. Live into Jesus. Become people who are filled with the joy Jesus and the hope of the Holy Spirit no matter what happens in your life.